One man stabilized more than 30 victims wounded in major Taliban offenses. He also helped provide clean water to 300 Afghan families. But what separates Captain Harrelson from all of the other Bronze Star recipients is his involvement in a formulation of a nutritious paste that saved children in Afghanistan from starving to death and dropped pediatric mortality by 25% in Kalat, Afghanistan. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and joining me today on the Clinician's Roundtable is Air Force PA Captain Timothy Harrelson, a recent Bronze Star recipient. Captain Harrelson, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Lisa. I first have to congratulate you on receiving the Bronze Star for your efforts in Afghanistan. Could you take a moment and share with us how that felt to receive such an honor? Well, I can tell you it wasn't, from my end, expected, especially when you deploy in an area like that. My first expectations in the deployment was that I would pretty much be treating Americans and be pulling medical duties for our troops that were there. And it turned out that I was assigned to something called a provincial reconstruction team. And that was really turned out to be only a small part of our duties. And so what the things that were asked of us to do while we were there sometimes put us in harm's way. And I think that's where this kind of originated from. But it was definitely a surprise. I received the award when I got back to my home station. And, and it's an incredible honor. It's not something that I ever expected that I would see being in the medical field in the military. Well, you've been in the Air Force since 1989 and uh, PA since 2001. What inspired you to become a PA during your time in the Air Force? Well, I, I actually wanted to be a medic when I joined the Air Force, but way back 20 years ago now, <laughs> those were the days of long waits, delayed enlistment. You couldn't get the job you wanted unless you waited a year for it. And after I went through my first semester of college and burned through what money I had, I was ready to enlist and, and move on. And to actually be a medic in the Air Force, I had to wait, I think it was 11 months with the waiting list. And I was able to get a slot and the intel filled right away. So I joined and pretty much decided right away that that was a, not a good idea. <laughs> not that joining the Air Force was bad, but I should have stuck with the medical field to begin with. And so once I completed my technical school and made my, in the Air Force, what we call a five level, you have to reach a certain proficiency level in your job before you're able to take any college courses or that sort of thing. Once I completed my five level, I went to school at night and started working on a psychology degree. That's kind of where it began. The, the, I think the desire was always there. And as I moved through doing that, I rediscovered a, a passion for wanting to be more involved with people. I love the medical field. Of, not many of my family have done it, but my wife's family, many of them were in medicine. So I got some exposure that way. She has a cousin who's a surgeon. Her mom was a nurse. Her father was a doctor. And so I, I got more exposure to the field. And as I went through for my night classes trying to, to graduate with a degree, I started to shadow certain providers or physicians I knew uh, at Wilford Hall. And it kind of went from there. At first, I didn't even know what a physician assistant was. I knew what doctors were. And so I shadowed with certain doctors, family practice, OBGYN, orthopedics. And through that exposure, someone introduced me to a, a physician assistant in oncology. And I went and did some shadow hours with him. His name, he was at the time, it was Captain Bruce Christensen. And uh, when I saw his interaction and what his level of care was, and I learned more about what physician assistants were, 
I decided that was more the correct path for me. I already had a family, already had kids, and I was ready to get involved. And it was taking an awful long time to continue to prepare to go down the road that I was on. And I was pretty much ready at that point when I discovered what physician assistants were. So I put my application in through the Air Force, through the Tri-Service School, the IPAP School, Intra-Service Physician Assistant Program, and got picked up and have pretty much gone from there. Well, you've done some amazing things during your career, and one is the creation of a life-saving nutritional paste. Could you tell us about that? Absolutely. In fact, that probably is our biggest success from our medical mission of our provincial reconstruction team. When we went through training in Fort Bragg, my direct boss was an Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, Mark Kubner, who is a, a dual-boarded physician in family practice and psychiatry. And he had some pretty clear ideas of what he wanted to accomplish when we got to Afghanistan. And some of those things, we outlined some things, and almost all of them dealt with children. We wanted to address fetal maternal mortality. We wanted to address diarrheal disease, which has a high mortality rate in third world countries, especially places like Afghanistan. And then we wanted to address malnutrition. And in the beginning, that seemed to be the biggest one to tackle, the one that would give us the hardest challenge. But it turned out to be the area where we made the most ground and we had the most success. Now, the development of the paste actually we didn't know how we were going to tackle that when we first got to Afghanistan, and we were pretty much starting from ground zero. I think the way the provincial reconstruction teams have developed their history, in the beginning, a lot of the medical mission of those teams was focused on medical care for our troops, uh, for casualties, for sick call, things like that. And it, over time, as the leaders have seen the potential for medical interface to extend beyond running a one-day clinic in a village, then we've had to come up with other grassroots programs to help in the effort. And I think that's where we've made our biggest impact uh, with the clean water, with the food paste. The idea for the food paste actually was developed previously by other physicians, humanitarian efforts in Africa, and it was through a program called Plumpy Nut that has since been commercialized. And we downloaded a bunch of information on Plumpy Nut. We reviewed what their recipe was. We looked over what it was that they were trying to do, how kids were able to eat it, and what it would do for the people who, who did eat it, and uh, at what point, you know, we could, we could save the children. Captain Harrelson, can you give us some examples of the children that you've seen and the extent of the malnutrition? One of the problems we have, the very first Afghan hospital we went to, which is the Kalat Provincial Hospital, and, you know, to use that term hospital, it's, it's used kind of loosely. If you've never been to some place that's remote, you know, you're talking the poorest province in a third world country. It's not exactly a hospital. It's more of a collection of rooms with people who are given training and called doctors. But they're certainly not physicians to the standard that of what we think of in a, in a Western world or Western society. They pretty much get side saddle training with physicians and PAs that are sent over there. And after a certain amount of time, they kind of strike out on their own and, and do their own thing. It's not that they don't know things. They certainly can learn, and they certainly do a good job with the resources and the knowledge that they have. But it's just that those resources and that knowledge and those opportunities for training are limited. So they would come, and women would bring in their, or families would bring in their sick children, and malnutrition is a tremendous problem there. And we would have kids that were 
almost two years old and so weak they'd never walked a step in their lives or could barely stand up with, with aid. And that's how weak some of these kids were. But a lot of them didn't make it that far. They would die far sooner than that. As we got there and we saw that problem and the numbers of kids that would be brought in from outlying villages and really all the doctors there could do was to give them an IV and hope to hydrate them and if they could gain the strength to breastfeed again then they could keep them alive until they could become old enough to eat regular foods which also are not plentiful which again leads back to the same problem. So going back to the plumpy nut thought, we tried to see is there any way that we could use this in Afghanistan. The first thought was, well, maybe we could just buy it and bring it in. But to do that on a continual basis, it does a couple of things. A, it's very expensive for us to attack that given the budget that we had for our total operations. It just wasn't cost effective. And B, it doesn't do anything for self-reliance of the Afghan people. They don't. By doing that, it, it's a temporary measure. The kids that we feed with what we buy will get better, but the succeeding generations are as lost as they were before. So we really wanted a permanent solution. We wanted something that could be developed in Afghanistan that we could teach the Afghans to do. And then when we go, not just us and our PRT team when we left, but when the coalition pulls out at whatever point that is, they're left with something that they can do and that they can rely on. And that, those were our goals. That was our objective. And what we did, we would go through villages and make medical assessments and go with the civil affairs teams and for on, on different missions. And every village we'd go to, we would make a point to do a medical assessment of that village and see what their challenges were, what their capacities were. But we noticed through almost every one of these villages in the southern part of Afghanistan, is the, the southeastern part that butts up against towards Pakistan, Almost all of these villages were able to grow. They had groves of trees, and they were all almond trees. And it kind of occurred to us, well, maybe we could use this resource, use the almonds, and instead of using the plumpy nut paste, which requires peanuts and peanut butter, we would replace that with almonds, and then we would see what else we had actually in Afghanistan that we could use. And that's really how we did it. We we started with almonds, and then we then we started looking through the local markets at what they actually had that Afghans would buy on their own street corners. And then every bit of material, everything that we used to develop the paste, we actually bought in a local market in Kalat, and uh, even even the almonds. And so that's kind of how it started. And then we just worked, we probably worked for a good three months coming up with different iterations to finally get, I guess you'd call it the recipe down that we finally ended up deploying in Afghanistan that has been so successful. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Air Force PA Captain Timothy Harrelson, a recent Bronze Star recipient and the co-creator of a nutritious paste that dropped pediatric mortality by 25% in Kalat, Afghanistan. So what does the paste taste like, and how is it working now? The paste is actually really sweet. That was one of the main things that I think kids take to it right away. It's sweet. It's not quite creamy like peanut butter. We've gotten it close to that consistency before, but when we do, it tends to separate over time. And the whole idea of the food source is they don't have a way to refrigerate. So it needed to be stable at everyday inside-the-house temperatures. And what we ended up developing is a little more coarse than that, it is a paste, but it's a little more coarse in its texture, if you will. 
but it's stable and, and without refrigeration won't spoil for about four months. So it'll last quite a while. And so it is sweet. And so kids like, once they taste it, they, they take to it very quickly. How is it working now? Are they making it themselves now? Well, you know what? Let me go back to kind of the first week. We deployed it in August to Kalat Hospital was the first place we, we took it. And the first child we treated uh, was a child that kind of fit that description I gave you earlier. It was one of the, the really weak infants who had the last day or two gotten to the point where he wouldn't latch on to his mother's breast any longer. And he had the suck reflex, but he was had no energy to feed. And we put the paste in his mouth just <laughs> on a finger and put it in his mouth. And initially he kind of made a little grimacing face, and then he started to suck, and then he was able to get enough down. The amazing part is that's a kid we would have lost. That is the child we were losing the whole time we were there. And that kid gained two kilograms, four and a half pounds, basically, in one week. And so that kind of underscores just the impact that it had immediately. Once that was seen, and we had pictures and even television footage of of that event with that kid, which was really kind of neat. And once the Afghan docs, and uh, specifically Dr. Zamari, who is the Minister of Public Health for Zabul Province, he uh, worked with us. And once he saw that, he was so incredibly excited. We ended up having him come in to our compound, and he would bring his own physicians in, his own Afghan doctors or staff, and we taught them how to make it. It was really simple. It took about an hour, two hours, uh, we showed them how to make the paste, and we gave them the utensils we bought, or we bought more utensils to make it. Can you give us an idea of the cost of the paste? It took about five U.S. dollars to feed one child for a month. One batch would feed a kid for 30 days, or feed 30 kids for one day, or, you know, any iteration thereof. And so that was the great part of it. The cost of it ended up being something that was sustainable. And by the time I left, which was November of 2008, we had taught doctors from three facilities in three different cities, and the program was moved to three different areas. And we had also taught the same thing to the other Air Force physicians and PAs that would meet for the medical conferences in Kandahar. Well, on behalf of ReachMD, I would like to thank you for your service and for coming on our show. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM160. And thanks for listening.